Welcome to Horrible Friends. This is a podcast about horror movies, uh, kind of like a book club. Uh, what we're generally going to do in this podcast is we're going to take you through uh, the plot of the story, or the movie rather, and we're going to uh, talk about the cinematics, we're going to talk about the special effects, and the music, and the soundscape, and uh, then we're just going to give you like a little rating and let you on your way. Um, my name is Kyle. And I'm Chris. My name is Mike. I'm Dan. And I'm Jarvis. And uh, starting off, we're going to do a little bit of background uh, before we get into the plot, actually. And I'm going to send that over to Dan. Alrighty, so this week we are doing Gerald's Game, which is a movie from 2017. Uh, Gerald's Game was directed by Mike Flanagan. Mike Flanagan is most well known for directing Dr. Sleep, Haunting on Hill House, all the 10 episodes of that. Fantastic show if you haven't seen it. Hush and Ouija Origin of Evil. Uh, this is actually, man, I promise that we're not obsessed with Stephen King, but this one is based on <laughs> another Stephen King novel. Um, Stephen, King wrote, Stephen King wrote so many stories that have been adapted. You could pretty much throw a dart at the wall and hit a Stephen King movie. Yeah, we're a victim of circumstance. Um, yeah, I blame him. This novel is, uh, the novel is actually... Fun fact, the novel was actually reviewed to be pretty poor. Um, but And we'll get into our thoughts on the movie, but overall people say that the movie has done the novel justice and more so. Uh, the budget and the box office. Now, this was a little interesting. I, I did scour the internet for probably about a half hour. I'm not going to say I was doing it for hours, but I couldn't find anything. And I think it's because this was a straight-to-Netflix film. So, sure. yeah. I, I don't think it's as readily as available as other movies are. So if you can find it, then you're better than me. But I didn't feel like spending more than 30 minutes on it. So boom, whatever. That's right. Uh, I was going to say Netflix is pretty infamous for not releasing their numbers of like viewers. Because that's something they put, hold pretty close to the chest for their own benefit. Like lately, they have been releasing budgetary numbers just because they're trying to compete with studios and change the box office game that's going on right now. So they could say, oh, we spent $100 million on this. We spent $200 million on this. Because I did make a couple of movies in the last couple of years that had huge budgets. Like There was a Chris Hemsworth movie. There was The Irishman. And those both had over $100 million budgets. But again, they don't release any kind of viewership numbers. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, if you're looking to watch this movie, runtime of it, it's not too bad. It's um, it's a little under two hours, probably around an hour and a half mark. So it's a nice runtime. Uh, Fun fact also that this was filmed almost exclusively, if not exclusively, in Mobile, Alabama. Um, and uh, as I always do, I'm going to give you some of the notable movies that came out in the same year just so you could see what it was competing with. So we had things like Death Note. We had It came out in 2017. Uh, the remake, of course, we had Get Out. We had Mother, 1922, Veronica. There were a lot of big hits that came out in 2017 we were kind of blessed in 2017 with the uh great movies that we had it truly was a better good time year for horror movies yeah yeah i also i was gonna say i also i saw death note it's not any don't watch it it's fine i liked it i don't know i i did the anime so i guess that's me oh all right all right okay um i'm gonna pass it i'm gonna pass it over to mike uh, so we can stop talking about anime go ahead Okay, 
So uh, this movie opens and it is showing a married couple, Jesse and Gerald, packing for a weekend getaway. We see Gerald is packing two sets of handcuffs and he puts them right on top of his bag with no shame. And they drive for a bit and finally arrive at an isolated lake house for some time away. While Gerald is seen taking a Viagra, Jesse feeds his trade dog outside and Gerald comes out to tell her that the Kobe steak she fed the dog was $200 a portion. Wait, hold on. Can, can we stop right there? Because I, I just want to backtrack a little bit. I hate this guy right from the beginning, right? He almost kills the dog and he's just like, eh, whatever, F- fuck the dog. It's not a, a Stephen King movie until a dog dies. Yes, we need to keep track of uh, <laughs> does the dog die for this movie because that was one of the first things I took note of. Will this dog die? Hopefully not. Is that the first thing you guys took note of? Mine was like, I just started daydreaming right off the bat while I saw them packing, like the difference in their packing styles. She's like folding this nice little negligee. She knows what kind of weekend she wants to have. This guy's loading fucking handcuffs. And I'm just wondering what else is in that bag? Does he have like ball gags? Is there like a jar of jalapenos? Like (laughs) just the difference in their packing styles. I will say the dog was the second thing I took note of. The handcuffs was the first. Because the, he just put them right on top of the bag, on top of all of his clothes. I did, At that point, I didn't know if they were going to be getting on a flight or doing some kind of trip like that. But just right on top, no shame at all. Didn't try to hide them at all. Uh, the first thing I took note of, see, I was before even you guys. First thing I took note of was, damn, that bed is small. Uh, the first thing I took note of was logging into my Netflix account and finding this movie. Okay. Uh, the the other thing was Bruce Greenwood. First thing I uh, second thing I said was Bruce Greenwood. Kind of too old for Carla. Just just saying the actors I'm talking about. Yeah, that I'm just saying. Uh, it's like a 20 year difference or 15 year difference. Uh, yeah, 15 year difference. Yeah, she want to go on record. No one is good enough for Carla Gugino. Except me. This is fair. And <laughs> I I see that's going well for you. <laughs> good. So back to the plot. Uh, so Gerald tells uh, Jesse to come back in the house. And the movie makes a point of showing that the door remains open when the two go back inside the house. Uh, the movie moves along to the bedroom where Jesse changes into a new slip she bought. She places a tag on top of the shelf above the bed and practices doing some sexy poses while waiting for Gerald to join her. And uh, Gerald is seen in the bathroom taking a second Viagra and leaves the glass of water on top of the shelf next to the tag and climbs into the bed. Hold on. Bruce Greenwood, at this part, all I wrote was, Damn. I want some fries with that shake. <laughs> he is a very fit man. Yeah. And he, uh, he looks good. That dude's killing it. Absolutely. I, I honestly just thought his dick was going to explode after popping a second Viagra pill within like 15 minutes. Yeah. So I have um, I have Gilf to the max came up in, in my uh in my thing. Well, she's not even that old, but I guess because the two of them, I was like, OK, I guess if she was a grandmother, then that's I'm ready. And also, Gilf can also be grandfather. I'm ready for I'm ready for uh, our our good friend uh, Bruce. I'm, bring it. Yeah, I'm just I'm gonna go secure the website gilftothemax.com. <laughs> <laughs> it will redirect to horriblefriends.com. 
Uh, yeah, one day. Uh, I completely took back my comment about him being way too old for Carla after I saw him. I was like, all right, I get it, girl. You get it. Go for it. <laughs> uh, uh, my next thing is, uh, seeing as we're about to get into kinky sex time, I said, oh, it's kinky sex time. She's feeling weird. So am I. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote it that part. I was like, right, right when she was like, when he was handcuffed. Right. So next thing that happens is that she gets handcuffed. I, I went from, oh, I want some fries with that shake to Bruce. No, no, daddy. No, don't do this. <laughs> it's interesting that you uh, say no, daddy. No, because a little bit later in the, the scene after Gerald restrains Jesse with one handcuff on each wrist and locks him to the bedpost. She does seem a bit surprised. Uh, Gerald begins to act out a stranger rape fantasy, telling Jesse to scream for help and that nobody can hear her. Uh, Jesse half-heartedly plays along, but soon becomes very uncomfortable, telling him to stop and uncuff her. And he replies, what if I don't? Uh, (laughs) That made me uncomfortable. Yeah, this is when the whole thing took a huge left turn and uh, made me feel very uncomfortable that I was like, I was on board just because this is what I did an older couple and to spice it up a little bit. And at first it's like lighthearted and no, no, don't hurt me, stranger. But then it becomes very serious where he's like, I'm serious now i'm gonna force myself upon you yeah at one point i want to be, cl- be clear man there's there's nothing wrong with rough sex kinky sex is great but you have to establish a safe word all right communication is key with bondage all right this is a rookie move from the start on gerald's part we have an expert right here telling us about this welcome to I- horrible friends after dark coming at you live i'm so proud of you guys for doing like <laughs> jazz music <laughs> in synchronous yeah it was um, all different but it was bad it was good the, the quote that i wrote down that he said after she said no and he clearly understood that this was becoming a rape was he said, isn't this why we came up here? And I was like, Oh, the, the rape. Is that why we came up here? Gerald is, is that what we're here for? Is that why we spent, why we spent $200 a portion on beef? <laughs> no, that was for the dog. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, oh, yeah. We, we did meet a dog at this point. Uh, well, we've re-met the dog um, as he walks back and, and she gives um, the meat to the dog. Uh, and that's when the, yeah. the, the door is left open. Uh, he, at one point he's like, you like it? And I was like, my answer to that was no. No, I, I do not. No. So this is when their sex game turns into something very more sinister and becomes something that's not as lighthearted. And uh, Jesse begins to demand to be set free. And this is when Gerald suddenly clutches his chest and seems to be in pain. And then he dies of a heart attack and he falls on top of Jesse and she starts to freak out and kicks him onto the floor, leaving Jesse in handcuffs stuck to the bed hold up so uh, if anyone watches parks and rec anyone listening or any any of you guys uh my wife and i saw this part and immediately thought of the episode where they're explaining sex ed to the old people and they ask what are some issues that come up when you guys are having sex and one old guy just screams out partner dies on top of you (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, it's a very <laughs> common problem among the elderly. At least one in every three elderly deaths is uh, death during sex. That is a statistic from the National Board of Health. You can go look it up if you'd like. Oh, my goodness. No. <laughs> no. I'm, I'm looking it up right now. Please don't. Uh, I got to say, like this whole movie, I mean, I don't know why they went with Gerald's game. It should just be right play as a young man's game. The movie. <laughs> Uh, maybe don't take two Viagra's the movie. I just thought this guy doesn't know how to play a game. Like this is very one sided. It's very like Fifty Shades of Grey. Like, do you want to go to my game room? And, uh, what? <laughs> what do you get out of here? You have an Xbox in there. <laughs> I I was very happy when he died. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, he he dropped and then he dropped off the bed and I was like, oh, <laughs> this is good now. <laughs> <laughs> Not for her, but, but for me. But he doesn't necessarily stay dead for long. Yeah, not at all. I think it's one of those situations where she feels relieved that she's not in like immediate danger anymore, but then the realization that's, oh, fuck. Because that's what I had in my notes. It was a, he dies on top of her, but what, what's she going to do now? Yeah, he he drops but, and then and she's she's like, okay, maybe maybe he's not dead. I think she definitely thought like, okay, maybe she, he's not dead. And then he he was on the floor and then blood. And then she was like, oh oh no. But then we have then we then we get our doggo friend back, right? Yes, because there was sound of movement in the house and there was a little bit of a breeze and rustling outside. And the dog from earlier that Jesse fed enters the room. Yay! Yay! The dog's after, here. After that delicious beef, he decides he wants a nice piece of Gerald jerky. Yeah. Dog, oh no! As Jesse does try to scare the dog away at first, but it bites a chunk of Gerald's arm and begins eating it. Uh, yeah. and shortly after, Gerald stands up and begins reacting to being bit by the dog, and Jesse is relieved. But after a moment, she looks down and sees. Gerald's body still on the floor. Yeah, uh, she's. Gerald begins to taunt Jesse about their strained marriage and his erectile dysfunction, hence the need for two Viagra. He then tells her that she's wasted hours doing nothing and that she's known that he was dead. He hasn't moved or breathed in hours and she's beginning to suffer from dehydration and fatigue. Okay. Um, couple quick notes. I just want to take a poll. How much do you think that chunk of Gerald's arm was worth if that Kobe beef was two hundred dollars? <laughs> like black market. Like how much? How much are we spending on Gerald's forearm? Oh, the so if that's like just the one portion. <laughs> yeah, for one portion. All right, one portion. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that the forearm is probably some of the best, best part that you can get. Probably it's, maybe it's not. It's a lot of muscle, right? You do seem to know a lot about human flesh. So what would be the worst part if that's the best one? I think the best part would be someone's butt because there's a lot of fat <laughs> there. So like Dan eats butt. Dan eats butt. Well, um You wanna make- I can't okay. <laughs> <laughs> Look. You did it. Look, it's twenty. It's twenty twenty. Jarvis, we eat ass now, okay? Oh, I eat ass. Anyway, uh, on that note, though, on that note, you did skip over one critical component, Mike. You're doing a great job. I gotta tell you, the most unrealistic thing in this whole movie is when Carla Gucci.
Gino, who plays Jesse, is on the bed and she's she's almost trying to make a deal with Gerald. Like, Gerald, just get up, wake up. If you wake up, you can do whatever you want to me. There is nothing in the world that would revive me quicker than Carla Gugino <laughs> strapped to a bed saying that I could do anything I want to her. I would become Christ himself and rise up without flexing a muscle. That must be why Gerald jumped up so fast. And that's the end of the movie. They had a happy marriage and that's it. Show's over. And he apologized and he said he would never do it again. And they adopted the dog and had a happy life. Together. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Thanks for stopping by and having a horrible time, everybody. I... One of the best scenes, uh, I think one of the best like uh, sections of dialogue was uh, she 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 looks over at Gerald and she goes, uh, you might die because of Gerald's five inches. Get that through your head. And then he looks over and he's like, oh, <laughs> best. I love that line. Holy <laughs> shit. I love that line. Anyway, Jesse does struggle with her handcuffs, and after a short struggle, she miraculously slips her hand out of the cuff and breaks free. She glows to Gerald, but her joy is short-lived, and she turns around and sees herself still trapped in the bed, and her hallucinations of Gerald and her freed self tell Jesse about her and Gerald that she never had the courage to acknowledge. So this is where the you really see she's hallucinating pretty hard. And uh, she sees herself, she sees Gerald, and Gerald's more of a criticizing role, and her vision of herself is more of a supportive that's trying to encourage her to take action instead of just sitting back handcuffed. Yeah, it's uh, uh, as we go throughout the movie, we figure out that she's got a lot of trauma in her past, but I think that that, that is her, her actual personification of her like internal uh, struggle and the things that she's coped or what she uses to cope with with those uh i guess feelings and the 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 emotions from from her past and stuff like that so it's she finally sees it like literally in front of her and she's like "Uh, okay cool yeah all right (laughs) i saw this had more of like an angel devil type feel that herself was like the good parts that wanted her to escape and gerald's division was more like oh you're stuck here you you're worthless and this and that even I mean, even in him kind of being that, you know, sort of the villain role, even after death, I mean, he still motivates her to do the right thing. So it's I don't know if it was necessarily him demeaning her as much as it is that he was pushing her, that he was trying to motivate. I I didn't see it as that. I saw Gerald was constantly belittling and saying, you can't do this, which was indicative of their relationship that they had where he was abusive and gaslighted her all the time. Uh, And then it wasn't until her own image came to her, which was like how I saw, like Mike said, her angel. And she was like, no, you can do this. You just need to persevere. And her angel kept getting stronger as time continued. Yeah, I agree. I I think that she she personified Gerald as exactly as she saw him, whether that was his we we know very little about him. I mean, we we gather little pieces of it. We don't know anything like previously because the movie literally starts and within ten minutes, here she's locked up in in handcuffs on the bed and he dies. Right, like it, it's so quick. Um, it's very fast. But she's uh, she has created this character of this man that she did marry, and it's not good. It's not a good look for him. No, not at all. 
So there is an allusion to previous sexual abuse that Jesse had faced. This is likely the reason why Jesse had such a visceral reaction to Gerald wanting him, her to call him daddy. This triggers Jesse to remember she had a glass of water above the bed that Gerald placed. And she's able to reach it, which is a very relieving feeling. And But she cannot bring the glass to her mouth. And the vision of Gerald pretty much laughs at her for this. Her, her vision of uh, her hallucination of herself reminds her about the tag she put on the shelf. And she rolls it into a straw and she's able to sip the water. And can I just... Can I just say that my my very my boomer father um, would have been outraged about the paper straws, and I say that in jest. If you hear this, Dad, but you, you did flip out about paper straws one time. Because <laughs> <laughs> for me, it was like it made a point of showing the little details in the beginning about him placing the water down, her taking the tag off, and they did come into major play later because if she didn't put the tag there she would not be able to drink the water it would just be up there taunting her the attention to detail was fantastic in this movie because i know i wouldn't have thought to use the tag as a straw i just would have like thrown the water on myself and caught as much as i could in my mouth that's what i would have that's what i thought she was gonna do i was like yeah i do that okay (laughs) so this is when jesse does fall asleep and she's awoken to more sound of movement in the house. She sees the dog still in the doorway, So, and a tall, deformed figure emerges from the corner of the room. And he creeps up to her across the room out of the darkness and shows Jesse a bag of various bones and other things. And she closes her eyes and keeps saying, you're not real, you're not real. And this is when Gerald appeals to, appears to her and tells her that the figure is death waiting to take her. Yeah, the dude, dude was spooky. I I would have assumed it was death or something. I don't know. I I didn't. Yeah, uh, it was. He was a he was a creepy guy. I did like how he showed up. It was kind of funny though. He shows up and he's like, "Look at my things," and she's like, "I want to look at them." <laughs> also, literally, what I wrote down like he just shows up and like he's like, "Look at my box of bones and jewelry." <laughs> it's all I, I, I thought it was just kind of like. Going back to how people act differently for vacation, I thought this was just another way to contrast <laughs> what people value on their weekend getaways. If if you want to know what he looks like for people listening, picture Lurch because it's the actor who plays Lurch. Awesome. I think even though watching this, I was unsure if this was another one of her hallucinations. I was unsure if this he was real or not, but uh, we can touch more on that later on. So Gerald begins to call Jesse Mouse, and this unsettles her. And uh, being called Mouse by Gerald triggers a memory of her father, Tom, who had referred to her as Mouse. The memory is from her childhood, when her and her family took a vacation to a lake house to watch a solar eclipse. When the family goes out on the lake on a boat to watch the eclipse, Jesse stays behind, and her father stays with her. The family, and as soon as the family left, the father's demeanor changes immediately. Tom, her father's words and actions towards her are extremely unsettling. He begins to tell her she's a beautiful woman and they, they watch the eclipse together. His father, her father coaxes her up to sit on his lap with her like, like she used to. 
And as Jess is watching the eclipse, he begins to masturbate to her with her on his lap. Yeah, this whole thing was bad. Uh, my notes just kind of broke down because I was just like, gross, no, I'm sick, I can't, no, 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 gross, gross, no. It just like kept on getting worse. It was just, it was bad, dude. I mean, if you'd like to feel a little bit more unsettled, uh, the actor playing Tom is uh, Elliot from E.T. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, wow. No. So Elliot, Elliot saved an alien and then masturbated with his daughter on his lap. You know, it's the usual, you know, tale of life. Tale of as old as time. You know, you save an alien. Dude, fucking yeah. eclipses are dope, man. Eclipses are amazing. This guy just made eclipses gross to me forever. Okay. Like, fuck this oh, dude. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah fuck Tom. Because hey, I just watched the movie. You see how quickly his whole persona changes as soon as the family leaves it was just it was awful to watch and he said the most uncalled for and creepy things to his daughter and it was just i had a very hard time getting through it yeah and oh yeah and i I guess with with these things uh you you get a, a character you get you get her rather you get mouse as this person who uh this this young girl whose father has been probably pruning her for some time because it's it continually mentioned that you know oh she's daddy's little girl and she her demeanor is always different you treat her different and it's like i feel like it's been it was a long time coming for this to happen and then it it does and then it's just it's just super weird man it's uh absolutely uh now to go back to the present jesse awakens from her like dream or nightmare whatever you want to call it and she's got cramps and she's losing feelings in her arms. Her Gerald and Jesse hallucinations taunt her that she never recovered from this assault with her father. She married a man just like him. Uh, Gerald was an older man. He was a lawyer and he did nothing but minimize her their entire relationship. Gerald taunts Jesse about the disfigured man again. Uh, she saw who calls the man from the moonlight. And points out he suspects there's a bloody the bloody footprint on the floor. He tells her it was death again, and that he will be coming to take her tonight. This is when I started to lean towards that the figure was real because there was a bloody footprint on the floor. It was not a dog like paw. It was a human like boot print on the floor. But she does try and argue that like. Uh, no, it was the dog, and the you know hallucination. Gerald was just like that's bigger than a dog's paw. Yeah, dogs wear little you boots. You know what it is. Yeah. Dogs have like size two boots. This is like a t- size thirteen boot. Yeah, uh, and that just makes me happy after what we just discussed. Just picturing a dog with little booties. Uh, yeah. that's just that made me feel better. Yeah, let's get some uh, some eye bleach. Um, yeah, or mind bleach. Uh, yeah, I I don't know if I was still convinced at this point. Um, I think at this point I was still like it could still be a, a she's delusional. She's got uh you know she's dehydrated. She. She obviously hasn't eaten. She's she's got like high anxiety because she's still trapped in this bed. So I was like, yeah, I don't know yet. I think uh, no, I think it goes back to what I was saying, though. I don't think Gerald, even in her mind, was such a one dimensional character. He's not just a bad husband. He's a he's the realistic part of her brain, giving her the motivation to like make, you know, really. Uh, fuck, lost it. 
I, I, I don't know. Stay objective. I mean, I could see, I, I, I see, what I could see that argument too, but he was very like cold and cold and harsh towards it. Uh, from her perspective, I'm sure that's what he was like in their marriage too, just cold and harsh and very matter of fact. But and we don't we don't learn till later. But she specifically says that this marriage uh, was comfort to her, and I I don't really I don't think I really put any of that together. Like comfort is not what I would have probably said with him. So I think it's well, it's good. It, it's it's a man that gaslighted her throughout their entire relationship right like we we learned that he cheats on her with someone else because she she is not fulfilling him anymore Um, it's implied it's implied well it's from her yeah so it's what she thinks is happening right because he says it as part of her subconscious um and even like before he dies he gaslights her right then he's like he blames her for being upset about a rape scenario saying that this is why we came up here uh like pointing fingers at her so yeah um, he he literally says what's wrong with you and i i had no at that point i was like dude what the fuck get out of here and we're about what's wrong with you yeah and and we're so i think that's where the comfort comes from in her mind is that because what Mike's about to talk about is that her dad actually gaslights her when she's younger. Right. She's like, like he's saying that we can't tell your mother and like making her feel bad. Like it's her fault that this, that their relationship could end with mom and dad if she says anything and she has to be responsible and like this is her fault and this is on her when that burden's not on her and it's not fair because she's just a little kid. So I think that's where the comfort's coming from. Right. So let me just jump right into that scene. Uh, to me, it was even a darker scene than the other memory we have of her father. Uh, the flashback yeah. takes her back to a childhood with her, her and her father in the bedroom. This is after the assault by her father. He does manipulate, as Dan said, he manipulates her and tries to minimize his role in what happened between the two of them. He, he keeps bringing up the fact that they should tell the mother but it implies that the mom's going to blame Jesse for what happened and she's going to be very upset with her and it's going to strain the relationship and more like kill the family. This is when Tom manages to convince Jesse that he's doing her a favor by not telling anyone of the incident. It's for her benefit and that she should be grateful for it. And he says, we can't tell anybody never mentioned this again and the two agreed to never speak of it again even to each other i just thought you manipulative son of a bitch yeah it it, it was it was pretty cut and dry during this whole thing and i was just like if only man like it you could just be like hey don't that's bad don't listen to him it's all good but it's still it's it's a yeah it's a child like she she was a child at that point so i don't know this this part really fleshed out her character of what she grew up into and why she is acting the way she is in the beginning of the movie, being so submissive to the way that Gerald is um, that this scene alone really like tells a lot. Yeah, for sure. You see the manipulation in her, you know, projections of Gerald and herself, you know, her mind treats her the way her father manipulated her. And I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, and and just to cut back in, when when we get um, 
when we come into this scene where uh, her dad walks in and right beforehand, she she takes her her dress that she was wearing at the time when her that was mentioned a couple of times when her when her father did the thing that he did. Um, she takes the dress and she lays it down on the bed. And, and that same shot is what we get at the very beginning when uh, she is laying out her clothes and then placing it into her bag. And then Gerald places his bag onto the same bed as well after the camera cuts back. Uh, I thought that was pretty interesting. It was a good callback to the beginning. Okay, so uh, after this, Jesse's awoken to the dog trying to take a bite out of her leg while she's still handcuffed. Uh, real quick before you go into that, like how we transition to that, because I'd seen this movie before and this moment I completely forgot about and made me nearly leap out of my bed. So after uh-huh. her father talks to her and, you know, convinces her to, you know, not say anything about it, you know, the younger Jesse, she leans back in her bed and like, you hear this kind of noise and like, she feels something as she looks down. It's the, you know, it's Lurch. The creepy guy is now has piercing yellow eyes and is licking her foot. And that is when she like wakes up out of the dream and it's the dog like licking her foot and trying to bite her. Okay, but I'm, I know we all had the question down, but I'm going to ask it. Would you let Lurch lick your toes? I would. I would not. And that's why I left that specifically out because I hate feet. Feet gross me out. They just... The shaped weird feet are for walking, not for licking, not for rubbing. Hey Amen. That's why I had to bring it back up because I knew how uncomfortable it made you. Don't kink shame. Stop kink shaming. This is, this is an anti-kink shame. I, I hate feet. I, I cannot stress that enough. I, I, I would sell my house to suck Carlo Gugino's toes. I'm just saying <laughs> that was coming. I would, I would sell my house to suck on Lurch's toes. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I, I was, I was sure you were about to say Bruce Greenwood. I was sure. You were. <laughs> well, yes, if he wasn't going to. I was. Uh, and I, I will keep my house and have no toe licking in either direction. We, we do like have to be related to lick your toes. Okay, I'll, I'll, find, I'll find my deed. <laughs> <laughs> we, we do have to um, talk about the fact that this, this is a Stephen King film, right? So I, it, he's in the feet. Is that a thing? It's uh, <laughs> Quentin Tarantino. Quentin Tarantino is the big foot guy. Yeah, but I'm going to throw Stephen King into it now. Sure, why not? We will be funny all about libel suits. <laughs> um, okay. He killed a kid in like multiple movies. Uh, he's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's fine. <laughs> I, I do like the fact that the dog looks at her like as it's like trying to bite her leg and her foot. It's just like what i've had gerald i just want to try you out yeah, <laughs> yeah. i i looked at it as <laughs> she wakes up kicks in the dog kind of walks off oh shit sorry fuck i thought you were dead like he was my bad <laughs> sorry jump to the gun i'll just wait here like another day then you know yeah then i'll then i'll eat you my cat would have at least waited two days that's why i'm a cat person you know he would have waited maybe even three he's a good boy <laughs> So this is where Gerald prints a very grim picture of Jesse's outlook. He says that nobody's looking for her. Uh, 
his staff or his coworkers are going to be looking for him and it's going to be at least a few days. The gardeners aren't coming. The maids aren't coming. And when they do eventually find her, they're going to say she died hard. Ah, uh, yes. The sequel to Walk Hard. Yes, die hard. Died hard. You know, it wasn't hard. Uh, Gerald. Oh, well, actually, I learned in clerks that you can hold an erection for uh, how long is it after? So you didn't Unless learn anything. It, uh, I, all right, I didn't learn anything. <laughs> but maybe, maybe the dog, maybe the dog ate the boner. I mean, we don't know. Ooh, I like that idea. Yeah, that would be nice, right? I'd like to live in a world where Gerald's penis was eaten by a dog. <laughs> I feel like how much of Gerald is? <laughs> how much of Gerald is eaten at this point? A chunk. Dog's taking a couple. He's taking a couple good bites out of him. Yeah, a good bit, right? Yeah. So Jesse now she drifts back off to sleep. She seems to be going in and out of consciousness at this point. Uh, she has a vision of her child self, and the child self tells her that she has everything she needs to escape, and she's had it from the beginning. This is when Jesse remembers cutting her hands the night of the assault after her mother asked her about the eclipse and she had squeezed the glass too hard. Adult Jesse now back in the bed. She reaches up and grabs a glass of water that's above the bed and she cuts her hand and cuts her wrist and in very gory detail, it allows her to partially deglove her hand so she's able to slip the cuff on her one of her hands and she followingly drags the bed to the bathroom where the key is sitting on the counter and unlocks her other hand, freeing herself from the handcuffs. Wait, can we just hear every in order from Chris, Mike, me, Jarvis, and then Kyle? Can we just hear what comments you wrote down for that part? Oh yeah. I will not lie. Two times I've seen the movie, I looked away. I couldn't stand to see it. Don't I will say, I will say, Jackie had lovely comments of it. Uh, they would range from, "Ooh, ah, oh, that's slippery. Who wants bacon?" <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was like very like, cringed, I guess, because I I was expecting her to like just. Let her hand open and use the blood as a lubricant to slip her hand out. Same. I was expecting her to like break her like her thumb so she could like get her hand tighter and squeeze it out. The the the, the, the gloving of the hand was the last thing I was expecting, and you were able to see like the veiny bits and the bone, and it's very vicious, very brutal. I, I, the only things that I said as I was doing the thing that you do when you're cringed out like trying to eat your hands um, and curling into the smallest ball that you can uh, was when will the cutting stop? Oh my God, her hand. Oh God. <laughs> it was like, mm-hmm. a, like 127 hours type thing. Oh, Oh wait, no, I did have a question. I had a question for, all right. I said, I'm going to ask Jarvis this question. And Tiff was like, why would he know? And I was like, I don't know, but I'm going to ask him. Uh, wouldn't she be bleeding way more than that? Way more. Well, no, there was some pretty intense dehydration, which is kind of the only reason I thought, okay, maybe, maybe not. But I I agree. I kind of have the same thoughts. Um, I mean, she had been lying still with her arms elevated and severely dehydrated. So actually, you know, the more I kind of think about it out loud, it makes more sense. 
there are any doctors out there listening to this podcast, please give us a call and let us know. Would there have been more blood? Well, we Remember, are. We, we did watch Children of the Corn. We're all doctors. We do know that uh, it's that takes, is true. <laughs> it takes uh, uh, like three minutes for the coagulate. Four minutes. Four minutes. Yep. Four minutes. Hmm. Well, uh, after. Wait, 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 wait. I don't think Jarvis explained how he felt about it. Oh, God. I want to throw up thinking about it, guys. I really do. If you haven't seen this movie, go fucking watch it. If you don't feel well, it, it'll fix it real quick. Um, for, for, for those who don't know me, I have a thing about wrists. I don't like my wrists touched. I don't like to look at wrists. I don't know what it is, but it's a fucking... It's... Are you the same way, Mike? No, I feel the same way about feet. The, the way you feel about wrists. <laughs> I feel about feet. Uh, I oh god this this is this was like a literal nightmare nightmare for me um I literally just wrote down oh Christ the wrists ugh 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 with three H's the noise I want to die there was no there there was no uh periods or commas it's just all one big blur of how I felt yeah I was right about to say my my butthole puckered I, I did not feel comfortable during this scene uh, and then it kept getting worse I, I was like okay she impaled her wrist this is pretty bad and then I, I looked away and I looked back I was like oh god no not the degloving <laughs> oh god uh, but yeah that was bad so moving on from this degloving scene uh, as she's able to get herself free from both handcuffs she drinks some water and bandages herself up but passes out on the floor from blood loss and fatigue. She's quickly woken up by the dog biting her, and she pushes him off him. She makes her way towards the doorway, but the man in the moonlight from earlier is at the end of the hall. She approaches him and hands him her wedding ring for his trinket bag, and she leaves the house. She makes it to the car and drives away, but she's again drifting in and out of consciousness from her whole ordeal and the blood loss. She sees the eclipse from her childhood in the distance, and the man in the moonlight is again in the backseat of the car. He grabs her, and Jesse passes out and crashes the car into a tree. People from a nearby house come out, and the screen goes black. And that's the end of the movie, or where the movie probably should have ended. All right. (laughs) I will say there's a reason. Um... There's a reason it doesn't just end right there, but I'll let Mike uh, continue with the rest of it and I'll uh, mention it after. I mean, I think that it has a better, if it would happen there, it has a more uplifting ending from how they did end it. Uh, it shows a flash forward of six months later and Jesse is shown writing a letter to her 12 year old self. She's writing with her wounded hand now in a glove, not her own skin glove, but an actual <laughs> glove glove. Uh, the voiceovers and scenes describe how she had pretended to have amnesia, not remembering everything that happened while she was trapped. So she didn't have to answer any painful questions by the police. She says she still has nightmares of the Moonlight Man every single night. And then she says she used some of Jared's life insurance money to start a foundation for victims of sexual abuse. And she finally shares the story of her own abuse that she suffered from her father. She still questions whether the Moonlight Man was real or another hallucination, but it is noted that her wedding ring was never found in that house. Which is the second point in the movie where they could have ended it and it would have been just absolutely great. Yes, so the second false ending, 
moving on, it is shown on TV about and newspapers about a serial killer, Raymond Jolbert, who had a case of, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, acromegaly, which is a hormonal disorder that develops when your pituitary gland produces too much growth hormone during adulthood. When this happens, your bones increase in size, including those of your hands, feet, and face. This man, Raymond Jolbert, digs up crypts, steals bones and jewels, and eats the faces and bodies of male corpses. This would explain why when he was in the room with Jesse, he did not harm her, and why he took bites out of Gerald's, and his face was disfigured. Well, so he, from what I remember, he... He is ambivalent to eating people. He just has sex with the dead bodies of only men. Because I had gotten that he was eating Gerald. Yeah, I mean, I'll take it. Uh, was was the dog even real? Mm. I, I did read an interesting theory on Reddit. I had told Chris about this, that the dog was never real. That it was this guy the entire time. And that, okay, I, I could run through this very quickly, that the initial rustling and the movement in the house was him. And when he enters the room, that's when her mind breaks. Because at this point, she hasn't even seen the Gerald's hallucination yet. Her mind breaks and she identifies the dog because that's the last thing she saw. She attributes the him in the room is the dog because actually she's processing it and uh yeah and the dog was taking bites out of gerald but it was really the guy and that's why the footprint was there and if you go by the theory of the dog was never there it was him that's very makes a very cryptic movie but in the book that this was based on it pretty much squashes that and the dog it's basically said the dog was real yeah, if they hadn't mentioned the dog in the beginning when they were driving through and he was like, oh, is that a fucking dog? Like, I I probably would have gone with that theory. But because they, they explicitly state that that was a dog and the dog was there, ah, I'm fine with it. And they keep calling upon the dog saying, like, you know, he's doing what dogs have to do, you know, whatever. But all right, how does this the whole thing wrap up? So for the third conclusion, Jesse arrives in court as the Moonlight Man is being sentenced and calls for his attention. He quotes what she said before leaving the house, because as she was leaving the house and she gave him her ring, she said to him, you're not real. You're only made of moonlight. This indicates that he was, in fact, there in the house with her and it was not a hallucination. And then Jesse tells him, you're so much smaller than I remember. And she walks out of the courthouse, having confronted her trauma that she had faced in the house. And this is the actual ending of the movie. Now, the reason I think they went with that is um, I don't know exactly how the book itself ended, but I do know the the story ends with her saying that exact same line. So I think they wanted to make sure they brought that full circle into the film. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and then she she does write a letter to herself, and I think that her whole self is reading it and whatever. But the, it was it was actually it was very it was very uplifting even to the end. So like I appreciated the ending, but it just it it had I don't know it had an air of of the uh, 
superstition and like a almost a, he, he he's that dude kind of almost became a folklore at some point especially in the in like the the woods of alabama and so i was like okay this is this is stephen king right here this is great and then they're like nope he's just the murderer man and i was like <laughs> still kind of i mean he was real creepy and gross but like it, you could have gone with like a, a current monster or something like that and that would have been fine time stephen king monsters end up being like the most literal representation of the evil if you have christine where it's an evil car the children of the corn it's evil kern he's a very <laughs> literal monster writer yeah that's fair um yeah so that wraps up our our, our plot for this uh i think we're just going to squeeze over to our uh shout out section uh mike do you want to give a shout out so uh, this was actually uh, Gerald's favorite place to shop at. It's where he actually bought the handcuffs for him and Jesse's little getaway. Uh, this shout-out goes to Gary's Taco Hut and Adult Store. There's nothing more satisfying than having a fully stuffed taco. At Gary's Taco Hut and Adult Store, you can find the filling for both. With so many varieties and sizes, you will find yourself going back again and again. You know that old chip saying, bet you can't have just one? Well, that's doubly true for Gary's. Before you realize it, you'll be finished and fulfilled. My personal favorite is the chicken carnitas, but of course, everyone is different. Uh, don't miss out on the nacho bar with eight different styles of salsa. It's located in the back behind the curtain. Uh, Gary's Taco Hut and Adult Store. We love you. Thank you for that, Mike. Uh, appreciate it. So we're going to go ahead and uh, move forward with our, uh, I guess, our cinematography here. Um, so uh, it was good. The whole thing, like... Uh, setting lighting the, the the scenes i had i had one scene uh when he kept saying the um she's gonna die hard and we, we mentioned that earlier uh the the die hard scene that the camera is just it zooms in and it's slowly panning to the left it's like it, it's starting to get like real crooked and it's it, it's just it's a, it was perfect I, I love that scene a lot i don't know why but it was just it was really well it was a good use of uh of cameras and angles and stuff like that i don't know that all of it was really well shot. I I really enjoyed. Um, there there was a time. It was after. Uh, it, it was right after our first flashback, uh, with jerk off Mick jerk off, um, jerking off on his daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was right after that. I think when it flashes back to her in the bed, I. I kind of felt like I was almost at like a stage performance. Like I was going to the city and just watching just like stage actors acting. Like it was just, it was incredible to watch like a back and forth and it's basically being carried by one person. Right. We're, we're just like watching a monologue of Carla Gugino for the most part. And Bruce Greenwood's in there a little bit, but he's not like the main focal point. She's the focal point. We're getting a perspective of her. And I really, appreciate that there were a lot of great shots that really like captured moments um i'm not a film expert so i can't point out specifics but there was never anything egregious that took me out of the scene everything kept me zoned in on what was happening yeah and as far as like set design and and like kind of going at it they they really didn't have much because if uh, or sorry that they had a couple scenes that were a little different but overall like they they kept it pretty pretty tight it was it was nice It it was really um really well really well done for like the house they went into was gigantic but all we saw was the bedroom and the bathroom 
and like the little hallway in the beginning. That was it. I like the fact that pretty much the majority of this movie was in that one room. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot like 12 Angry Men, that entire movie takes place in the deliberation room. This movie felt like you were in the room with her and you felt kind of trapped too because you couldn't escape. And it was, it just felt like an actual, it felt like an actual bedroom and claustrophobic way you couldn't escape. It didn't really leave too much of the one perspective. You didn't see many other perspectives of the house, like Kyle said, that you were confined with her in that one room. Yeah. And when she was younger, when she was in her, her mouse form, I guess you'd call it, um, the the way the bed was situated in that room as well, I think was was very similar to the way this bed was set up. So when the shots at one point did uh, intertwine, uh, you see like her old childhood bedroom uh, kind of laid on top of the current situation that she's in. And I was like, yeah, all right, this is this is good. Anybody got anything else? Nope, got nothing. Sweet. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and move on to uh, the sound and music and uh, well, actually, let's do special effects real quick. Um, yeah, the handy gloving scene was was gross. I think we already we really touched on that. But no, and that was honestly probably the biggest um, special effect that that they had, I'd say. Um, I mean, there, there was like the, the, the sun doing its its thing, but I don't know. The hand was very well portrayed as it was gross because it looked real. And yeah. it was very like gory, and it was probably it's a very good effect, but it was tough to watch. Yep, yep, yeah. agreed. I, I think that was like the only thing that we really had for special effects in this movie, right? Like, I mean, well, no, I, I'll say, um, uh, as we walk past Gerald when she's leaving the house, that that looked really good too. Like, <laughs> I wrote down, could Gerald still get it uh, after after we <laughs> walk past his rotting corpse? Nice. Um, but he, he looked really good, too. And uh, when she gets into the car accident, that looked good. So oh, yeah. there, I, right. I think all the effects that were done in this um, were, were done very well. Everything looked believable and cringe, cringy. And yeah, it was good. Yeah. Makeup, makeup and special effects did a really good job because the as the day, the day and days go on, she she becomes even uh, like her. She's still gorgeous, but she is getting just absolutely destroyed like her her mental psyche is like taking a toll on her on her look and her face and every it's it's you can tell it's crazy they did a really good job i didn't get that at all i thought she i thought she was beautiful the whole way through <laughs> mm-hmm. um i mean it's hard to focus on that with your pants or your ankles the entire film at least three-fourths um <laughs> uh, no also also special effects man the the moonlight man uh you yeah. know like the, just the subtle things like the shining of the eyes another another common stephen king theme uh you know like shiny scary eyes uh but like you know like the eclipse was in his eyes and i like that the moonlight man wasn't just like some cheap jump scare i mean he, he was used for that a couple of times but overall he's like this kind of omnipotent you know unknown force that could do anything to her uh so uh, I don't know. I think all the special effects uh, went really well hand in hand with the story. Uh, I really enjoyed it. The first time that he emerged from that dark corner, it was like very unsettling because that's the first time you see anything really uh, supernatural seeming in this movie. And it was like, oh, OK, this is different. 
Yeah. And, and it, it really did take you out of it because it was like, Oh, again, it was, is this a real thing? Is this just a figment of her imagination? And yeah, they, they did a good job at keeping them. I think that goes into like lighting and stuff like that. The lighting in the film was fantastic. It was so good. I couldn't, they marked the time of day that she was in and they, yeah, I I don't know, man. Uh, I strongly suggest watching it even just, just for these little pieces. Um, but if we're good there, uh, let's move on to uh, music and sound. Um, not a ton of music. The, the, the movie started out kind of happy-go-lucky music, and then it came back again when she was a kid, which I thought was uh, which was fine before the, the bad thing happened. Um, but the, I, I think, in general, just the sound effects of this movie, just, just the... Uh, the, the leaves rustling and the, the day kind of going from from morning to night and then, um, you know, the people potentially walking in or the guy walking in rather and the humming. There was always this like humming that just like shook my headphones, which was pretty nice. That that was really cool. Like you said, the, just the ambient noise of the wind and the leaves outside, uh, the silence of the house because she is there alone, really. She's stuck. Terrifying. Just absolutely terrifying. So oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's just, you feel, like I said before, you feel that you're in the room with nothing else going on and you're trying to, you want her to succeed. You want her to escape. And she, you, she's helpless until she finally does what she has to do and gets out because nobody's coming to help her. And if uh, nobody has anything else, I will uh, send this over to Dan with the idea of uh, what is our spoopy rating this week, Dan? (laughs) All right. So our spoopy rating this week comes from one of my favorite lines and maybe one of your favorite lines. Uh, Can anyone remind me how big was Gerald's dick? It was five inches. Five Five inches. inches. All right. So zero to five inches. How many inches would you give this movie? (laughs) (laughs) Uh. I will go and I'm I'm giving it the whole hog. I'm giving it a five incher. I mean it's called Lugina, so I can understand you wanting to give her your full five inches. <laughs> hey, we're all five inches here. <laughs> we are all equal. Yep, five inches around. <laughs> <laughs> It's so bad. It's so bad. Like cheese wheel. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, like a cheese wheel? What? Um, it was either that or five inches from the ground. Two equally uh, awful jokes. Uh, I, 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 I'm acknowledging they're awful jokes, but... Anyway, anyway, right. so, uh, who's going next? Well, before before I go on, I'll addendum as a spoopy thing. Um, I, I think it was, I, I wouldn't say it had me on edges at, at full at the full five inch, but I think I think a good like four incher. Like there were times when I was like, eh? and then the, the handy gloving really put me out of it. So, uh, yeah, I give I give it four for spoopy. I'm gonna go basically about the same three and a half to four for spoop. Uh, probably definitely four just for the fucking toes that i forgot about um but overall i'm giving it also like the full all five inches that i can just phenomenal movie second time i've seen it and i loved every moment except toes and glove (laughs) all five inches you could muster huh chris it's all i got and it's all i'm giving look i'm just trying to be 
like Gerald. Like if five inches is good enough for her, just think. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was just thinking, man, hey, my life could have been different. <laughs> just fantasizing about the life that could have been. Oh, Carla. I can't. <laughs> so are we just going to send uh, his wife like a rough cut of just everything yes. he said mm-hmm. of this episode and nothing we said and just the whole list of everything he said? Edit out. Everything. I want to take this time. I want to take this time to thank the fence. Um, I will probably not be in any more episodes uh, or in uh, alive in in my in my <laughs> human body. Uh-huh. Well, we uh, will dedicate the next episode to the memory of Jarvis. I would give it a three and a half spoopiness, just because I it was it was very like unsettling. It was very claustrophobic. You felt like you were trapped with her, and. Uh, the Moonlight Man was very creepy. The dog was kind of a, not so much a protector, not so much a predator, just the dog being there constantly. You didn't know if he was going to go after her once he got hungry enough. So three and a half spoopy meter inches. Uh, for spoopiness, I'm going to give this, I'm between a three and a half and a four for spoopiness. I, I think it hits the mark on creepy with our hand glove. Um, I think the moon. The Moonlight Man hits it. Uh, He's an ominous being. The dog is there. I think there's a lot of things at play. I genuinely didn't know if she was going to make it out because it's a Stephen King movie. We don't know if we're going to have a happy ending or a bad ending. Um, So for spoopiness, I'm going to go for three and a half to four. I'm I'm not sure which one to give it. But for overall, I'm going to give this movie a solid three and a half inches. And the reason being is that... I, I really like that we have a story about actually I'll give it four. I'll, I'll I'll redact that. I'll give it four inches, four hard inches. And it's because I like the story. I like that we have a strong female character. We we get a nice story that's not revolving around a man. It's not revolving around Gerald. This is revolving around Jesse. We are learning about Jesse's backstory. And I really like that. It's her battle against men. She has a great arc in the movie. Um my big complaints being that I didn't like the serial killer ending, which we've already said. And the other thing being that I really wish that, and you can call me petty for this, but I really wish that this could have been told by not a white dude. Like I found it a little ironic that we're getting this story, this traumatic story about this woman and it's coming about being abused by men coming from a man so it just felt a little ironic and a little misplaced and that's not to take away from mike flanagan i think he did a fantastic job but uh, i just it just felt a little weird at the at the end of the day like i don't know and you can call me petty for it but i'm gonna give it four for that i thought that this movie was gonna actually have another false ending after the uh courthouse scene and it was just going to cut to a shot of Jesse still handcuffed and decomposing the bed. Honestly, I thought that was how this movie was going to end. Yeah, I almost thought that, too, because at some point her uh, her other self uh, said, make sure you make sure you you visualize everything. And I thought she was yeah. just visualizing the whole thing until she got out to the car and actually started driving away. And even then I was like, is she still visualizing? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's what I was waiting for. I, I also just want to throw one more thing just to defend my point. If anyone's upset with that's the only reason. The the other reason is, fuck, I just forgot 
Gotta hang on. You might have to cut this. Hang on. Give me two seconds. Uh, we're sorry. Going, we're going in all five inches raw, baby. No, no, no. Cut it back, please. Um, cut back an inch. Oh, fuck. Jarvis, you go, and then I'll come back, and Kyle can always just cut it in. No. All right, sounds good. I'm, I'm, I'm almost glad because I'm worried that you were gonna take mine. All right, so here I go. <laughs> yeah, man. So I mean, like, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say anything different than what's already been said about, you know, the spoopiness. You know, it's good. It's dark. It's, it was fucking creepy, man. So I'm right, I'm right with you guys in that three and a half to four, man. It, it had me on my toes, <laughs> toes. Um, my overall rating, <laughs> my overall rating is gonna be a solid four. And there is the reason I couldn't go five. There was one little plot hole I just couldn't get over. And I want to I want to hear what you guys have to say about it. Did anyone else did anyone else feel like this whole movie could have been avoided with a hey Siri? The whole time, the whole time, the, the whole fucking time. My phone literally just went off as I said that, proving my point even further. Yep, nope, shut up, shut up. There we go. <laughs> Movie done. Movie done. My yep. husband's dead on the floor. He wanted to do rape stuff, and someone needs to unhandcuff me. Yeah. And it, they, roll credits. They just ignored that, and they kind of went with the, oh, we don't have a cell service kind of concept. Like, they, they would have gone some way around it, you know what I mean? I, I don't know. But yeah, it, it was it was a big plot hole, but I agree. Uh I stick with my five, but yeah, I, it is a big, a huge plot hole in the movie where you could just be like, hey, what phone call for me, please. OK, I'll, gi- I'll give you my last point and then you can wrap it real quick. Um, so I, I do want to give one last little thing just to defend my my pers- my point of it being a four for me. And my last gripe was the ending. I felt like the ending was a little too Hollywood for me. Uh, it. It, it ended up being like the best case scenario ever. Like she's like, well, I was, I was a battered woman. Uh, but then I opened after I survived, I opened up a clinic to help battered kids. And then I confronted this man in the courtroom and I walked up to it. It was like a, almost a, are that happened situation. And then everyone clapped yeah. It's like, like it, yeah. it was a little too Hollywood at the end. I agree. And honestly, it, it almost pulled me out of that when he snapped his uh, his restraints that he had on in the courtroom. I was like, oh, man, he's going to murder everyone. This is going to be great. And then nah, he was just like, <laughs> OK, honestly, for that, I just thought, um, damn, I wish uh, wish she uh, hoped that she had those kind of cuffs that could easily break when she was stuck to the bed. <laughs> right. I think it had a lot to do with the fact they went so hard in that direction. They were trying to show how much of a changed woman she is, how much stronger she is, how she was willing to confront anything that got in her way, as opposed to how she was in the beginning of the movie, how she was very passive and stuff just happened to her. And now she just confronts any kind of thing she wants to, and she's a much more active participant in her own life. Yeah, the, the only thing that I'll say about the ending, um, just to tack one more piece on there, was that when the when she walked out of the courtroom and she started walking back into the Manhattan, I guess, uh, there is a total eclipse happening and it's finishing uh, in front of her. And actually, 2017 was our total eclipse on the East Coast. So uh, there was that, I guess. 
And uh, if that's everything that we got, uh, I'm I'm just going to go down the, the thing down here and just say uh, I want to appreciate everybody who's been listening. Um, we have all of the social medias. Um, you can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Reddit. You can find us on Gmail. It, it's all in our um, uh, description of both the podcast and I think also the episodes. Um, I also want to thank uh, Connor McLeod for his uh, artwork that we use in all of our episodes and Andrew Cavanaugh for the intro and outro music. And um, I think that wraps it up. Uh, what is our next movie? It is uh, A Cure for Wellness, correct? That is correct. All right. That is, you are correct, sir. Uh, give that a watch. Come back and join us next week. Uh, Mr. Chris, do you have something to say to all the nice people? Thanks for stopping by and having a horrible time. So I, I, we do need to, to talk about the fact that we have watched more Stephen King movies, I think, than we are allowed to that. in a single I year. A lot. A lot. I noticed that, too. <laughs> okay, yeah. That's, we sh- um, Yeah. Maybe next year. Maybe next year.